What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing human beings that tune in every single week. I call you guys the outliers because we are. We're the people who uh, do everything outside of the box or you are considering doing it out of the box and you're probably called crazy and you're probably looked at as like, why would you ever do it this way when it's always been done that way? Um, you know, we have a lot of people that tune in, artists, entrepreneurs, CEOs, innovators, um, you know, techies, fashion designers. I mean, we are a wide variety of creators. I appreciate you guys tuning in every single week. And, uh, you know, for any of the newer listeners, just, you know, quick thank you for tuning in. Um, I, I'm Matt Gottesman. It's nice to meet you. You can reach out on Instagram at Matt Gottesman. I answer every single DM, text, reply, response. Uh, tag on the wall, whatever. Um, hit me up. I've been talking uh, talking to all of you guys for about 10 years on the web there. So I uh, really, really appreciate you guys. And, um, you know, for those that are a little bit newer, I just also want to kind of brief you real quick. Uh, this podcast, we don't glamorize or glorify end success. It's anything but that. Um, success is a very arbitrary word. It really is how you define your path. To me, that's successful. Um, I get it. We live in a very metric-driven world, a very title-driven world. Uh, I also believe that that world is uh, shifting very uh, drastically, which is why I'm very stoked to have my guests today that I have on. Um, but for purposes of that, we, you know, my guests and I, we always talk about a variety of topics about what are we experiencing in real time while we're building things because we're on the ground, we're in the processes, we're in the work. So we're seeing things both internally about ourselves and externally as we build. So there's a lot more going on than just the hype reels that you see online. So uh, really appreciate it to my day ones. I appreciate you guys too. We're well past 6 million downloads. So that's no small feat. I realized in Joe Rogan's world, it's a little bit like that's probably like one episode, but I, I feel truly honored and I'm loving doing, you know, we're just past 400 episodes. So uh, really appreciate you guys. And thank you for all the constant feedback. And I have another incredible guest today, Matthew Matola, author of The Human Cloud, CEO of Venture L and Forbes contributor. Um, and we are going to be talking about gig economy, freelance economy, decentralization, the new way we're doing business um, globally, this digital world that's happening, um, you know, and a million other things. Remote work is a big, big deal. Some of you were new to this concept last year. God bless you. Welcome to the party. Uh, and it takes some pacing because I, I get it because, uh, <laughs> you know, at first when you're alone, you also got to sit with yourself and that might be something new. For some of us, we've been doing it for like 10, 12 years. Um, you learn that you have a lot more control over your world, but you also realize you have a lot more responsibility as to how you manage your world at at working from home or anywhere in the world, et cetera. And freedom. Freedom requires accountability and responsibility. So I know Matthew's probably going to also go a tear on this, but real quick, just want to give you guys a background on him. Uh, leads the ethical adoption of the freelance economy, the remote independent model of work that over half the US workforce will transition to within the next five years. I repeat this because I think some of you thought I was crazy when I said this like five, 10 years ago. The remote independent model of work that over half the U.S. workforce will transition to within the next five years. I give it to. Um, he is the author of the number one new release, The Human Cloud. Uh, as I mentioned, also CEO of Venture L and Forbes contributor. And um, throughout his career, uh, Matthew's been on the forefront of helping leaders ethically build freelancer networks, helping freelancers build sustainable careers and sharing the stories and operating insights driving our shift to the human cloud. Uh, and at Microsoft, in joint partnership with Upwork, he built the Microsoft 365 Freelance Toolkit, a tech stack for companies to spend up to $100 million on remote freelancers. And at uh, Gigster, he built Ideation, a service to build digital products through fully remote software teams. And he's been named a top 50 remote work expert to follow, spoken on 50 plus stages, including YPO's Innovation Week, and featured in Forbes and Fortune, to name a few. Um, so he might know a thing or two <laughs> about remote work. I love this. I, I'm really stoked to have you here, Matthew. Thank you for being on the show. Yeah, man, I am pumped, especially hearing <laughs> everything you were talking about with personal responsibility and right. putting the work in. The one thing I'll say, which always cracks me up with this, 
it's hard no matter what job you pick. I remember that was one sort of insight I've had because I have a feeling that you and I were a little more on the, the blue collar side. And so whether we're working at the grocery store or the shoe store or whatever it is, we're going to have to work our ass off no matter what we do. And sort of what we've seen is when you do work for yourself or you do work in a more startup or human cloud environment, you just get more of the, the merit, right? You, you reap what you sow. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I just want to make sure I call it though. You're gonna have to work your ass off on whatever you do. Oh <laughs> yeah. Just, do, you, do you want that to come to trickle down to you, or do you want to keep just giving that that value to somebody else? So so true. And um, before I get into my first question, which is the only question that's ever the same on the show because the rest is riffing, which is really about your background. But you know, last year I had a, a few uh, remaining of my circle that are still corporate. Um, you know, uh, that aren't doing the entrepreneurial thing. They were working from home, and the first thing they said is, they go, you know. I've never been this productive before. And I'm like, yeah, go on, you know? <laughs> and they said, well, I don't know. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not really interrupted. Um, I can focus more. And, um, you know, I, I, like, obviously I have to check in, but like, I'm able to get the work done faster. And in some ways I feel a little weird. Like if I'm not using the full day, I'm like, oh, so all the concepts about remote work coming through. <laughs> but it was interesting because they didn't realize how much is wasted commuting. And then uh, in person, which I've heard is like, on the average, a, a person works two and a half hours of an eight-hour workday uh, because yeah. of the uh, interruptions in the internet and all those things. But you know what's crazy about that? So actually, uh, I so I, I started freelancing. I still freelance. I'll always freelance. But there's actually kind of the reverse where when you're used to corporate and you start working for yourself or in a remote environment, you can actually start to feel lazy because you're mm. like, oh wait, I only did three to four hours of work today. Why wasn't I sitting at my desk from nine to five? We're not meant to do that. We're meant so to true. work for like two to three hours at a time. And it's not a bad thing if you only get two hours of work done. And so that is, that's one thing. It's funny that I've kind of been riffing on lately is you feel kind of lazy, but that's, that's okay. So uh, I, I love that you call out. I mean, and listen, man, in a perfect world, like how good does it sound to have a job where you have a, a consistent paycheck coming in, your benefits are taken care of, no matter what you do, you're not going to get fired. Like, I feel like our, our, and our, our default is that we would want that, right? Like it's a utopia, but that's just, it's not reality. Right. It's an illusion, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. By the way, anybody listening, God bless. Like there's nothing wrong <laughs> with a nine to five. I, I just, I want you guys to know that it's just that um, uh, if you're in a thriving environment that you're contributing to and valued at, amazing. That's also rare, <laughs> yes. in my yes. opinion. Um, a lot of environments, I think, um, because of emotional intelligence and uh, sometimes lack of communication, aren't nurturing that very talent. That's all I'm saying in a, in a lot of ways. But um, so to start for context, I would love for you to tell the audience, you know, your background, like how do we get to here to the, the ventures that you're working on and, the, and writing of this book? And, um, you know, you can go as far back as you want. Uh, I've literally had somebody go back to the Big Bang Theory. I've said this like a bunch of times. It's true. <laughs> somebody really did you like start with the Big Bang Theory. Or just like when you knew you were different and you're Don't like, you know worry. what, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is how I'm going to approach, I think, moving forward, whatever, wherever your starting point is, how do we get to, to here? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, it's been out of necessity, I guess you could say, and then pure stubbornness. Like, I, I don't think that I am different in any way, shape or form. I definitely don't think I'm astounding or outly or any of that thing. I think I'm just very, very, very stubborn. And that when I sort of want to work on something, I don't stop. So I, I think that might be the, the overwhelming trend. But, um, you know, when it comes to what I do, I would say, you know, I'm the, the we all have to be the best in the world at something in our space, right? And so I'm the best in the world at using digital networks to get work done. And so what does that mean? That means instead of being able to get, being good at fighting for headcount or working with agencies, I'm really good at understanding how to work with remote, remote workers, usually in a contract form that's independent. So that's sort of been my baby and sort of what, what I've been super passionate about my whole life. Um, it all stems back to, for me, I freelanced in college because it was what I had to do. I had to make money and I couldn't work full time because I had a college scholarship. That's what was paying for school. And I had to do that year round. And so I could never go work a 40 hour a week internship and I would do contract work. So I went business to business saying, how can I help in a contract basis that ended up turning into competitive analysis? I would use my business major, which was finance and accounting to then take over things like business planning, financial accounting, um, various things. 
it wasn't freelance though. It was purely just, I needed money and I can only do it on a contract basis. But the big wow for me was when I did sort of jump into the big four. So while I was doing contract work on the side, I still believe that I was supposed to be doing this traditional path. And I think if, if anyone's sitting out there, that's more of the working class sort of blue collar American, you've probably been told like, you're not going to go start a company. You're not going to go be an investment banker, be a management consultant. That's just not even within your swim lane of view. For me, I was told you're going to be an accountant. Like that's it. Don't, don't think higher, stay in your lane and do that. And so for me, I did the best I possibly could in that frame of reference. So I you know, graduated top in my class for a, a, I'd say an above average public school. And I got into the best job I possibly could, but I'm sitting there two weeks in and I can't help but think there, I'm not supposed to be here. Right. And it felt so like defeating because I had spent four years busting ass to get the highest grades possible uh, instead of partying, I was in the library till 3am because I had college sports as well. And it was just this dreading feeling of I'm not supposed to be here. And, you know, it was a, a feeling of feeling disappointed, feeling kind of ashamed of myself of why do I even feel this way? Um, and that's where I sort of saw, okay, there's this, this freelance work that I was doing that I absolutely loved. And then there's this full-time work that it just wasn't for me, right? It's, it's good for some people, but it wasn't good for me. I was going to burn out and it just wasn't the path. So I sort of dove headfirst, to be honest, into freelancing and entrepreneurship. And so I went from my undergrad, which was a lot more, I'd say, you know, blue collar working class. And I made sure that I got into a school called Babson College, which is mm -hmm. very entrepreneurial. And I showed up at the dean's office. I noticed that, that he, she would walk back and forth between a meeting at this certain time. And I showed up with a pitch deck and I was like, I know your, your password. I, I know your Wi-Fi password. I have friends that'll get me to the dining hall. Do you want me to pay for this education or not? And I treated that as the next step to, to build the business, um, which was related to freelancing. So every single thing I've done has been in this specific problem statement of how do we make work work in a digital manner? Um, you know, after college, I failed that business. I'm sure, Matt, you know, we, we fail a lot. And so, <laughs> um, and, and I would always do the same thing. I would <clears throat> freelance myself to get money. I would start a company, I would run out of money, I would get a job, I would freelance and get a job. It's all sort of intertwined. And so I was early at a company called Gigster where we were doing million dollar software projects that really taught me how to get million dollar outcomes done. And then mm. I also built Microsoft's tech stack. And that problem statement was how do we get companies, large companies to spend over hundred million on freelancers. But man, it's, it's, it's been the same crap. It's all been this, this freelance economy and every opportunity now is a little more in the inbound just because, you know, I've been in the space for so long and built up the connections. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's me at a, at a, at a high level of sort of the, the past and in terms of like different, like, no, I'm not different at all. I just can't give up the space. I love it. You know, uh, there's a lot of really great stuff that you said in there. Um, starting with the, you know, the stubbornness, like, you know, no, I'm, I'm so stubborn. I'm, I want to, I, I got to keep going with it. Um, also, what is going on at Babson College that like all these creatives come out of there? Um, I feel like I've, I've spoken to a few recently on the podcast, like, you know, like, and then I got into fashion design and AR, VR, and then we did this. And then <laughs> you know, we you know what it is, Matt, because huh. this is something where like my my where I grew up, it was mm -hmm. very the culture was very much so you better get good grades to put yourself in a good position. Mm -hmm. Where I went to undergrad was very much, you better just put the work in and get a job. And don't you dare think about a dream or a passion, mm -hmm. just get a job. And then Babson was all about what major problem do you want to solve in the world? And let's put the resources at your disposal for you to figure that out. And so That's I owe Babson everything. It was, it was crazy, man. Like hearing a teacher in a, in a whole school tell you you're here to change the world. And what problem do you want to solve in the world? Mm. mind-blowing i still i still owe babs in the world for that so i i think that's what it is i think yeah. that they don't ask you what do you want to study but instead say what massive problem do you want to solve uh, but i i owe, i love i mean i owe babs in the world and that small subtle shift became massive and i think that that's that's sometimes that's often what's missing from traditional quote-unquote people who are, are only listening not watching this uh you know education play the safe route you'll become an accountant this is what you do this is where you stay in your lane 
it doesn't work that way anymore. I don't really never know if it did. I think it did during the industrial I, age. I think it you know? did then. I think 10 years ago, it totally did. Because okay. 10 years ago, if someone like me, and this is where growing up in Boston, I think is a very, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I did, was because when I, when I would go into Boston events, it was very clear, like you are working class, you are not one of us. And so if I wanted to get into investment banking, management consulting, that side of it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And so this whole mm. idea of go change the world, I just don't think like I, we could still do it, True. but it would be insanely hard, I'd say 10 to 15 years ago. And the big difference is, I mean, technology, right? Technology has slashed the barriers to production yeah. so that you and I can do things like have a podcast. You and I can do things like create an application that prior you would have, have had to get a job to do. But in order to get that job, you had to go to the right country club or have the right uh, stamp mm -hmm. on your resume. So, so I, true. I do think like there's a reason our parents played it safe is because that was the ideal route, which now it's not right now. You kind of have to be different and be the best at whatever it is you're doing, which I, I don't know which is better, but I, I think that's it. You know, um, I was very fortunate coming from a very entrepreneurial family. Um, so they were constantly pushing the Babson way, if you will. Um, but, um, you know, but they also realized, yeah, you know, my father realized, you know, oh, there's a, um, the barriers are breaking down because of the internet. And so he's like, run it, kid, just run it, run it. Like so take, awesome. take, take that system on because, because he, he had to work with the system or play, you know, and bend in and all this other stuff. And now, you know, I recently launched a brand and starting with the Substack called Permissionless because that's really where <laughs> it's really like yep. what what is actually happening. The barriers are down, and in fact, the traditional elites and the traditional you know models of the who's who and all that stuff um, they're so slow that they're like if they're not careful they're being obliterated without them even knowing it <laughs> in a lot of ways, but that's another, you know, and you know, I'll go ahead. No, I think that is such a good point. And I think it's, it's interesting. It's like, you still have to stay in a lane. Mm -hmm. The difference is that that lane used to be very centralized institutions. And so yes. the path to success used to be, if you're a writer, get into the New York times. If you're a designer or a marketer, get into Ogilvy. If you're a yes. IT person, get into Accenture. But I think now you can reach masses without needing centralized organizations. And so just like with like Substack, perfect example, if you're a writer, you don't need to go to the New York Times, but you need to captivate an audience of a thousand to a hundred thousand people to have a sustainable career. So you still have to stay in the lane. You still need to yes. you know, get people to need to attract, inspire and retain people and add value to them. It's just you don't need a centralized organization to get in, which is where people right. like us are able to take advantage. But I wonder, Matt, what did your, what did your parents do? What, what, how did you get this mindset? Um, oh, you reversed it on me. Well, I mean, it is a very conversational podcast, yeah. I, you know, my, um, so my father, uh, was an attorney, uh, was he, he passed two years ago, um, was an attorney. And, um, he also had a construction business when we lived back East in Jersey, uh, he was doing both at the same time. So he had a firm and he had, um, he was like really heavily into construction. He loved building. He just loved building. Like he was actually also like a general oh, contractor. It was, it was crazy. Um, it grew really fast. Um, learned some things about some business partners, you know, the usual. Uh, yeah. And a um, lot of things came crashing down. And so uh, moved us out West. Um, and he rebuilt again, starting at about 46, 47 years old, right? Um, a, a firm, but he rebuilt it differently, um, a small firm. And, um, but, uh, and he always, he was always investing in different things and doing different things, you know, in business. Um, so he was always running his law firm like a business. Um, and, um, but he was also, he built differently. He would be like, you know, you don't like, like always be, um, always be honest, always be integrity driven, never say more than you have to, <laughs> yeah. never show too much, you know, just be of service, you know, and build, uh, you know, because he learned a lot of lessons from the first couple of rounds, you know, um, yeah. and, and then the flip side was is that, uh, you know, my mother being a very holistic, naturopathic <laughs> kind of approach to life, they were two very interesting individuals, like they really loved each other and leaned on each other. She was all into spirituality. And it was kind of like, you know, kind of you got to, you got to tap into your core. My father was very much like, you know, you're going to have to figure it out, 
like for yourself, because he saw enough, I think, from a lot of um, big businesses, you know, they big, big firms try to hire him away. They're like, hey, you know, we want but we want you to work 90 hour weeks. Oh, we'll give you, you know, X, Y and Z. Um, but you'll never see your family. Like literally he was told that and he's like, yeah, I'm out, you know, no thanks. Um, so he saw institutions and infrastructure and corporations like in his experience, it's not all obviously, but in his experience and as in mine, it operating at a sort of like, so you want me to trade my time for money to which I'll also be heavily taxed to which I'll never see light of day. Nah, there's something about this that doesn't add up. And he was very, my parents were very critical thinking type people, always question things. And I think the one thing that it really stood out is just because ever since I was a child, they basically both told me never be afraid to ask questions. Even if a kid is laughing at you in class, ask questions more often than not, they actually want to know the thing that they're not asking. And that's been like, you know, the, the natural curiosity and critical thinking has been just my whole life. Yeah, no, I, I, there's, there's two very interesting things you called out though. There is, there was a tangible skill, right? So mm -hmm. your father wasn't just like, uh, how do I say this in a not bad way? He wasn't just like a liberal arts major, right? right. Saying that he deserved to get a job at Facebook just because he existed. He got right. a tangible skill that was market valuable that people needed him for. Mm -hmm. But then he also did recognize that, okay, there's more routes than Yes. being uh, subject to some sort of centralized organization, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a theme that you, I, and I'm sure your listeners on this podcast can relate to is we just want control, right? That's We're it. very scared of, of being beholden to somebody else. But with that, and you mentioned in the beginning, comes responsibility. Yes. So I think one thing that a lot of, uh, I think my generation is very uh, guilty of this is that we kind of believe that we we just deserve because we exist and we don't exactly know that there's, there's a skill that you need. And so I, I do, and I want to, I think the best part about mm -hmm. the story of your father is he had a skill. He's a lawyer, man. He was not just a right. uh, run of the mill, you know, he, he, he had a very, very hard skill, but I will say one thing that you called out is that it's like you own a business or you have a job like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that we also are starting to, to decouple is that, you can have a good life and you don't have to choose between like a venture backed entrepreneur or a CEO that gives up absolutely everything or a director that gives up everything. I think mm -hmm. now there is a lot more choice because of flexibility. I love, I love you talking about all these things because they're, they're, they're very passionate topics uh, for me. Um, on uh, one hand, I think that uh, a lot of people, they, I think that they don't, always see the opportunities that come with remote working and working for yourself. Y yes, it's a lot of work, but it'll, it just requires you to strategically think through the pieces. And I always tell people, pretend you're just going into the garage to like work under the hood of, a, of your Ferrari and you're building the engine from scratch. You're just getting to know all the pieces and building tangible skills. And you know, Naval is like one of my favorite multidisciplinary thing is yeah. talk about this all the time, like build a skill and then you can scale it, you know, but it's going to take some time. And the other thing that I, I often tell people is, is that I think they get kind of warped in social media does this. Oh, I need to make a, um, you know, an agency that, you know, or a business that makes 50 million, hundred million a year. I'm like, well, first of all, have you done an analysis on that? Like, are you trying to build a, a business that you can sell? And even then, what is your cost and your overhead structure look like? Like how much money is actually going, coming in and how much money is going out? What are you responsible? Who are you responsible for? What's the health insurance plans look like? Like all these different things that they don't think about. They just want to like have a hundred million dollar concept to sell. I'm like, or in a gig economy, in a gig economy, especially with access to resources. And Naval even talks about this. The future of businesses might be like three to seven people. And I, like, I highly urge people to think about it. Like, what if your costs are only like a couple hundred grand a year or less, but you're making 2 million, you know, they, they don't, they don't think about the, the, the infrastructure that we're living in that allows them a lot more flexibility and freedom. So you could be pulling down 1.5 net and reinvesting that into other assets and things like that. And just kind of building your life versus like, selling your soul to think for your own business to think that you've got to prove yourself and validate yourself from like having this, I'm going to sell this, you know, $200 million firm or $500 million concept or whatever it might be. 
Um, you know, and they also don't do the math. You know, I've known people who sold and made like 50 million after 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, well, after taxes, you really only made 12. And if I calculate that out, that comes out to about, you know, one, you know, a little over one a year or whatever for, you know, each year or, or whatever it might be, you know, and then, at, then minus some other costs that were, you know what I mean? It's like, I think they just don't realize um, numbers <laughs> and peace it's- of mind. It's interesting because I totally hear what you're saying. And I, listen, I lead a venture backed startup, right? So I'd be a huge hypocrite if I said traditional ways of building a company are, and it's funny we say traditional because traditional meaning like the past 20 years, right? right? right like right, this right. is not a, this is how you've always built a company. This is more of a, this is how it is right now. But I do think there's a, a, a feeling, especially when it's your first time that you need to go more of the venture backed route and you need mm. to create the next Facebook with thousands and thousands of employees. And I mean, you hit on it. You can create massive change with one to five people. And maybe it's one to five full-time people and then 50 to 500 contractors. Like there's so many new engines to actually create whatever it is you want to create. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that I, I mean, I personally struggle with it as well. I think as business people, we have massive egos, not just business people, but as like change makers, right? We have massive egos and we have to always evaluate ourselves on, do I want money? Do I want fame? Why exactly am I doing this? And a lot of it is a lot of people, I think, is I want to be on the cover of TechCrunch, especially right. when you're younger and it's your first time. And how do you get on TechCrunch? Not by building a sustainable business, by building a hype machine that hires right. 100 people in two weeks and gets venture backing by Andreessen. And how do you get it backing by Andreessen? You sell a bunch of crap with your hand, right? You hand wave to make stuff up and hit crazy growth metrics. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point um, that... Just know if you're out there and you think that like VC is your only way, I just want you to know like it's it's not. Um, sustainability can happen, but you might not be on TechCrunch. Well, and you bring up a really great point because venture is definitely needed. Big innovative ideas needed. Companies that employ a lot of people needed. Um, from the gig economy group of people, like people who are considering, I don't know if I want to work for a company, I might want to work on my own. And I think I want to do it at home, taking off that pressure of like, entrepreneurship might have been these big things. um, Because that's sometimes to your point, like, well, that's what TechCrunch is going to show you more of because these are huge celebrations. But in a gig economy, like, hey, you're taking back control. um, And you can also um, uh, manage the amount of cash flow you, you want that also is like, you know, uh, lifestyle for you. So you can have the freedom and the money without feeling like some of us who <laughs> out here are like, hey, you know what? Let's see how big this thing can go. You know, so yeah. I like that there's just more flexibility in this, this gig economy and the, the human cloud, right? Like in uh, remote work where, okay, I w- you know, a person can think, well, I was making a hundred, but I guess I could make 200, maybe on a few less hours with a little bit of automation using the internet and having these resources. And if I understand taxes a little bit better, this is what I could take home. Oh, it's not so bad. <laughs> you know? and, and let's get wicked tangible. So let's say you are a product manager right now at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. You're making between 140 and 250, mm-hmm. and you're working 40 to 60 hours a week. Which, to be honest, that's your if you're at PM at Microsoft, yeah, you're probably less than that, but or PM at any tech company. Um, but so you can now go and say, I'm going to go build a website for 15 to 20 thousand dollars, and that might mean it's done in two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. You also might say, I'm going to help a client scope uh, a website or scope uh, a web application. And so there's just more avenues that Mm. if you reduce it to what your actual skills are on a project basis, then you realize exactly what you said, where maybe, and maybe even for two months, you work a hundred hours a week and you work insane, you know, insane workload and you have 10 projects at once. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't recommend it, but maybe that's an option. Um, Another option for you is like back to this venture backed is maybe you do want to build a venture backed company, but you're sitting in a position sort of where, where I sit and, and, and where it's, investors, you're working class, you didn't go to Stanford, you didn't go to Harvard, so you don't have immediate access to investors and they don't care about you until you have traction. So maybe instead of selling yourself and giving up a bunch of equity, you bootstrap and you build build a company bootstrapping based off your freelance business so that when you do talk to investors and become venture backed, it's the opposite. It's not you begging them, it's them begging you to please take their money. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to use a name as a perfect example, as a case study for exactly what you're talking about, or 
close to it. Um, a, a friend of mine, uh, and I, I have to not use a name and I have to not use gender and I have to not use uh, the title because it uh, works for a very um, large entity and is very, very, very high up um, there in the um, accounting, automation, finance side of it. Um, does very well, was hired away from another behemoth. So when you're wanted at that level and uh, was freelancing <laughs> on the side um, for um, that particular, uh, you know, area, if you will, um, in, in small to medium-sized businesses where people struggle with those particular things in, in finance, right? And um, interestingly enough, that work is going up, is scaling up, uh, giving this person very organized, this person and their business partner, very organized, obviously coming from that world and taking tangible skills learned in the, the corporate world that this freelance that is now becoming, uh, you know, a, a, a scaled up, you know, might even be an S-corp at this point, knowing this individual uh, <laughs> and how they run payroll and other things. Um, and so interestingly enough, the question is now even turning into, do I keep A? And now, because B is actually not only scaling up, I have more time I'm making even better cash flow. And it happened. And so I think it's good for even transitioning if you want to do both or take a tangible skill that's happening in it's, it's like athletes. You know, I think that it caught the, um, the NBA and the NFL and all these different uh, people by storm. They never really thought about social media until all of a sudden these people who have heavy influence are like, Whoa, you're advertising other things that we haven't approved. They're like, this is my influence, not yours. I can do this thing over here outside of playing for you over here, (laughs) you know? it's and I like the point you brought up of you know he's he's or actually I don't know the gender uh, but <laughs> this, this this person uh, has freelancing skills and because right. they have really good freelancing skills they can take that into an organization and drive project based success at yep. scale and that's one thing there we is. talk about in the book is that there's actually sort of a counter movement of freelancers that jump back into corporate but are better than most corporate employees. And not better in terms of playing the politics game, but better at actual driving change. And we talk about an example in the book, right, where there was a, a the, the woman was freelancing, but the project had some NDAs and had some requirements that did need to be full time. But she was better because she had freelanced. And so she came in and it was not a, uh, you know, where's my onboarding? Where's my benefits? It was a, all right, this is the six month reverse engineered roadmap. These are the, the, the tasks we have to hit. And this is the resources that are going to get us there. And so if you, you know, if you're good at freelancing, you're also really good at full-time employment mm-hmm. and they, they bounce back. Like people always ask me, they're like, oh, so will you ever jump back to a job? And I'm like, if it's the right fit, why not? Right? Like, I'm not here to say I want to be an entrepreneur. I actually hate being an entrepreneur. It sucks. Like, <laughs> Thank you for being transparent and honest about yeah, that. Yeah, it you sucks. Know, like, it has in terms of the ideal world, like getting paid a salary every two weeks and, like that sounds ideally great, but I just don't, I don't know. I'm an entrepreneur. It sucks. <laughs> you know, but you brought up uh, again, another good, and I'm glad that it's in your book. Um, I've had friends who um, they had left corporate long ago, um, created their own businesses, did freelancing. And you learn, you're learning time management skills. You're um, learning project management skills, you're learning, um, you're mastering your skill and craft, so many different things for wherever your focus is, that they did end up going back into, um, into the corporate world. And interestingly enough, it wasn't just the skills that they were bringing, they were also bringing the um, communication level, and the emotional intelligence, because even if you don't own your own business, well, I shouldn't say own your own, but if you're just, just a freelancer doing skills, you're still kind of an entrepreneur, in my opinion, in, in that you're managing your world, the world of you. And so that forces you into leaning into a lot more things versus you, after a while, you, you know, you don't have time to deal with crap because you've been dealing with all of it. So you go back into the corporate world. It's like, hey, guys, look, how are we solving this thing? What are the problems? You know, and you see some of like maybe the games that are going on, like, look, 
I totally get it. In the meantime, I need to do this, 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 and this. How can I help? Let's move these things around without rocking the boat. But I found that they were able to do that in certain businesses. And they were also really appreciated. Like, wow, like, you know, you know how to get this done. And you, you know this, you know that. Because they, they had to figure it out. So they have respect for the top level owners all the way down through the people executing the tasks because they've had to do all of it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you I know? when I jumped into Microsoft, I remember... Yeah, I freelance prior, obviously. And instead of a, I'm coming in for a job, the, it, the job interview actually like lasted two months because it was me talking with all the team members about what are we going to get accomplished? Yes. So yes. there was no like job interview. It was a hundred percent. Do you, do you check off these outcomes that I say I'm going to deliver? If yes, I'll come work yes. here. If no, I'll, I'll keep freelancing or find something else. And uh, you know, it was uh, by May 15th, get, get 10 customers. And if I get it, Great. If I don't fire me, and there was some things that I remember were a little, you know, uh, not normal. So I, I did work um, remote mostly. I did come into the office when it was needed, but predominantly remote. And I ran like a freelancer, and so I was not sitting by my email just waiting for emails all day. I was out right. building stuff and, and driving teams and building teams that were freelancer teams. So yeah, it's it's, it's an exciting world, man. Uh, it's that's uh, another incredible point, and um, and you're right. You know, it's uh. Again, I've I've seen um, freelancers and entrepreneurs who have uh, talked. With, look, ultimately, we're problem solvers. So e- even in you know interviews, quote unquote, right? Like it's really like, well, I'm just kind of seeing if we're a fit, you know. And it's such a it's such a, a weird conversation for them in a way. Like, wait, what do you mean if we're a fit? Like, well, I know exactly what I would need to do. I just need to understand kind of like what your problem is, and I want to see how I'm adding value to it. And um, these are the things, like you said, the tangibles and the results that I want to bring to it. Um, but I also have to see like, what are we playing with here to, to be able to execute that, to make it happen? Because I know the types of things I need because I've been working on them already. And they look at it like, wait, what? Like, yeah, you're, you're not necessarily hiring a worker bee that just like, hey, can you take order? And I hope that you know your job very well, <laughs> this new boss. You know, um, it's more of a like collaboration, you know, and I, you know, I, I've been doing it. So like, let's see how, um, you know, to get these tangible results. And, and so I think even hiring has probably been a, a way weirder, you know, HR must be like, this is different. <laughs> I didn't, didn't even go through HR. It was so funny. The HR leader basically yeah. emailed me being like, can we hop on a call? And then she was like, can you tell me what's going on? I'm like, yeah, all right, we're, we're here. <laughs> like it was, it was oh, outrageous, true. but even, I mean, I've, yeah, uh, I've, it's funny. I've had a couple talks with like large, large tech companies and it's, it's funny. They'll be like, okay, so this is the role. And I'll be like, no, no, what's, what's the outcomes, right? Like what right. outcomes are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. I'll tell you what, it is hilarious when you're talking with a hiring manager and it's not like, no, this is not a yes or no. And you realize you're like, oh, all right, we'll hop on a call in, in two weeks. Let's figure out the outcomes. It's just a different way of thinking. And right. in the long term, actually you make more money because instead of having like a one-time negotiation over what your signing bonus is going to be and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, mm-hmm. you're building their trust in a long-term mm-hmm. way. And so the work you take over is instead of a, you're making 140 a year, it's a, okay, what do you need to get this across the finish line? And yeah. maybe it's, you need $20,000, maybe it's $200,000 and maybe they give you 200, you outsource 80,000 of that and you have 120, but you're only working 10 hours a week. Like it's, it's just a, it's like a, uh, yeah, it's problem solving mindset. I, so, uh, got my MBA. I don't promote that to a lot of people. Fortunate, loved, <laughs> I loved, I loved, I loved, uh, I went to Thunderbird. It was number one international business school. So I, I loved it. And it was a different school. I don't promote getting an MBA, especially in these times. And I was the only digital guy really there. Although a lot of my friends later on would call me <laughs> like, Hey, so we're trying to do this whole digital thing. And, um, you know, moving, I remember you were like the digital guy. I'm like, right. Um, but anyways, <laughs> I, re- I remember there was a story to your exact point. Um, one of the professors said, uh, talking about, it was, it was a point of, do you reward the guy or not? And here's the story was that there were, there was a guy who was paid, it was about paid, I think about 120, 140 or something like that. Let's just say 140 a year um, for a very specific job to which he started outsourcing, was getting all of his work done for about 40 um, over in India or the Philippines. And so while he was asleep at night, the work was being done for him. And then in the morning he was delivering, he worked inside the organization, right? <laughs> He was yep. delivering. And by the way, 
the work was so good that they were so impressed with him that eventually they found out well he was outsourcing it but the, the professor has he's like but what do you do he's like he gave up his own money from his own salary to get somebody to do really exceptional work which Technically, when you look at the management side of what he was doing, and he found the talent and then got really good work turned in that helped the company make money. Uh, <laughs> I, I know, I know. I, so I personally, I'm so torn about this exact scenario. And the reason for it is that as sort of the young, the young person, yeah. the, the thing that I fervently despise about older leaders that I've seen, and not all of them, obviously, but a good amount, mm-hmm. is that they delegate it and they take the credit. Yes. And so I have yes. like this idealist view where I'm like, hey, director, you didn't do that. And, you're, right. and your, your four-page bio of lead, lead, lead. No, you took a direction and then you just told other people to do stuff and put your name on the PowerPoint. So I, I'm, I'm like so morally oh. torn about this side of it because, I mean, you and I have both seen, that's why I like to use the word ethical because, you know, in freelancing, you are the visionary, right? Or if, if you're leading a freelance yeah. team, like someone has to own the vision, but then the actual uh, executables and the operations to get there. So the designer, the SEO expert, yeah, yeah. As a leader, you're actually doing them a disservice if you try to take over that. And so mm-hmm. it's in both parties' best interest for you to look at the person on the other side of you as a partner and yes. not a you doing the work. So it's this, it's this weird balance of like, I'm, always, I'm honestly, I'm always torn about this. Like I have freelancers for every single skill and task that I do, and I love them dearly. Yet I'm super torn about like, hey, like you're, you're choosing to do that work, right? Right. And like, hey, like this is you getting the credit uh, mm-hmm. and, and not just being the dickhead delegator of most leaders that I've seen. But it's, it's man, it's such an interesting challenge that I, 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 I don't I know. have a clear, clear. And, you and, I'll, and I'll give you another scenario that I had to learn. Um, and this is how I knew the system was a little fucked up in corporatism. Um. I, you, people like you and I, we, we get really down to the weeds. Uh, I mean, I'm speaking for you, but like, so I, I grew up with the every, the evolution of the internet. So I was always picking it apart and understanding how it worked um, from backend and software to front end UI, UX and everything in between social, all the things and marketing and especially marketing. And so what was interesting that I learned from being an independent consultant going into some of these big, massive brands. Um, with the exception of Louis Vuitton, Moe and Hennessy, I actually found them to be some of the most ethical, amazing, like oh, really? humble, yeah. That is clients, awesome. Clients I actually love yeah. uh, like large company success stories. So no, that's that's awesome. That awesome. They, no, they were so like, well, I think part of it is because they're, they're older houses, like uh, brand houses and fashion houses and, and uh, brands, you know? So it's like, hey, what do I don't, what don't I know? Tell me, you know? And I was like, I like that. Like, you know, but for the most part, um, what I found, what was very interesting, and I kind of want to share this with everybody to get a a better idea of like what's really going on sometimes is you have high, to your point, you have high level people taking a lot of credit who are A, working for companies that their brands are already established, B, are already in the black because their brands are, are established. They're already making money. See, they get a certain amount of money to spend a year. And I learned this first from the MBA and then seeing it uh, in firsthand. Um, the finance department will take away. So let's say the marketing department has $100 million to spend each year. The finance will take away any of the money they don't spend from next year's budget. What does that mean? That those people have to spend that money no matter what. I came in with like digital and metrics and tangible results. And they were like, No. outside of LVMH, they wanted them, but like everybody else was like, no. And I'm like, well, no, but you can do, I was naive at the time. They're like, no, Uh, I was like, you could do this. You could do that. They're like, no, 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 no. We're fine. I'm like, it took me a while to be like, you don't know this shit. You don't know any of this. In fact, what you do is you help spend a marketing budget with agencies who are taking advantage of you just because they make it look pretty, but you're in the black every single year because you already have brand equity in the market. So naturally you're doing well. And as long as things look pretty um, and they're not necessarily measurable results because you're always in the black, you're always in profit, 
you're good to go. And as long as you maintain that or above, you're cool. You don't get fired. It took me a minute to realize that that's what was happening because it wasn't until later on when um, I, I talked that way to a few people who want to hire them, who they were, they were hired away from big brands into like these startups. And then when I started talking about all the stuff that I can do, I didn't realize until I realized that I was a threat because I knew all the details of how to do stuff and how to get the right people, the right resources, the right freelancers, the right everything, the sourcing. They didn't know any of this stuff. And they weren't collaborative. They came from big corporate where things were like shiny and, and you know, paid for. And now they're like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm heading this up. And, uh, you know, I'm like, yeah, but you don't know shit. You just don't want to say it out loud. And in our world, you can tell us you don't know shit and then we can just help you because that's how we think, you know. It, that, that, that we all have that really, well, maybe not all of us, but that was a very, very sad realization day when you realized that when you see a budget of $4 million. And you're oh. like, oh yeah, you're just gonna spend it on all these yeah, things, oh and, that, and then put your name on it. It's, uh, it's outrageous. It's outrageous. But yeah, but uh, you know what? It's, you know, back to back to why us. we're so passionate about sort of yes. freelancing human cloud. It gets rid of that crap. It is the it ultimate meritocracy. It is literally what can you do for how much money and how long is it going to cost or how long is it going to take. And you just have to be consistent in terms of delivering on that and building strong relationships. Because if you are a freelancer yourself, one of the misnomers is that you have new gigs every single day. That is so not true. Mm -hmm. The best freelancers usually have five to 15 ideal clients and they mm -hmm. work with them for the rest of their life and they become the go-to partner and vice versa. The best leaders don't want to be hiring every single day. They want to be having a bench of freelancers themselves, which is actually what we're transitioning into is I believe leaders have about two years to, to build their bench. And you know, if they're if they're late to the trend, they're gonna have the B, the B and C and, and D D talent. And so, you know, it's it it really does, I believe, level the playing field in terms of enabling meritocracy, which I don't know, it's exciting to me. Four times I've gotten chills when you were talking about these things because the truth, as I call it, truth bumps, right? Goosebumps, truth bumps. Uh, so true about um, a lot of uh, freelancers that I have seen. And uh, even with our, our agency and some of the people we, we can, like, they love the work. So they're like, Hey, we just, we trust you guys. So, um, you know, put us on, you know, retainer uh, monthly and, you know, can you, what, what can you do? And like, Oh, well, here's what's in our wheelhouse and here's what we can design for you. And here's how we can manage it. Here's these things, which sometimes also create new parts of the business. Um, and it's very scalable, but you're absolutely correct. Um, because the relationship is formed, the trust is built, the work is done. And, um, and, you know, it's an easier way to, and it, look, to be honest too, with a lot of these companies, you could hire one person for, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 a year starting or whatever, which don't normally know these things um, right off the bat. Or if you've got a very highly systemized team, you can pay them the, the budget where they're like, all right, well, you know, we'll pay you six a month or whatever for these set of activities that are constantly being done by two or three people. But, you know, efficiently, <laughs> I mean, like companies that have done the math on freelancers, Right. And um, or agencies where um, like, oh, OK, so I've got like, you know, two or three, like a, a VA, uh, you know, a marketer and a copywriter, whatever. And, you know, these are the things that they're doing, whatever. Um, but they're efficient and systemized, you know, for this amount of money a month um, versus trying to find that talent that even has a clue what that means coming out of school because it's not fully taught in school. And you kind of have to learn a lot of this stuff anyways, you know, from yeah. doing some of it, at least in, in my world. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting when you start doing the math on it, too. So the color out here, because if you look at like spend, right, is a freelancer cheaper, which yes, yes, on an apples to apples comparison, absolutely. There's no benefits. Uh, there's no unemployment insurance. There's all these added, added things. That's not even including them. What I, what I want to sort of uh, add to, to this calculation is the missed cost of if you have the wrong people working on the wrong thing at the wrong time. Mm. And so if you have an employee, you're locked in forever. And if you want to get them off of your team, you're going through HR processes that are going to take multi-months, maybe even multi-years. If you want to get rid of an employee, good luck, um, especially if there's certain situations. Uh, and if you're in Europe, hoo -hoo, good luck. With an employee. <laughs> and, and so you can't quantify that, right? Like what is the quantification of, the, of, of, of Billy down the hall who's been doing the same thing for two years and really hasn't driven any, any tangible business value? And he, he honestly, he doesn't even want to be doing it. He just needs the paycheck. So that's the part of the calculation that I always um, oh, sort of so 
bring up to leaders and they just kind of have a gulp of, oh yeah, you're right. There's multiple people that are working on things and we just don't want to tell them <laughs> to stop working mm-hmm. on it or that they're no longer needed because there's a pivot in the business. You're not saying that I can go hire a freelancer that actually loves doing specifically what they do um, that will end up costing me less because of not having to pay benefits or um, you know, um, insurance or anything else. And that at any given point in time, that if things aren't working out, I can give two weeks notice, 30 days notice, and or just go month to month with them. Are it you? goes both ways. <laughs> no, no, but it goes both ways though, yeah. because the freelancer is equally ready for it. I think yes. that's the big difference is that yes. employees are not ready to take on something else where freelancers are the ultimate leaders yes. in that they're always planning for failure. Because when you're a leader, you're not doing things thinking that everything's going to work. You know that like 90% of things aren't going to work. Likewise, if you're a freelancer, you know that your client right now, and you have multiple clients, but you know that your client right now might not be a client next month, which mm-hmm. is one of the best things about hiring freelancers yes. is that the incentives are aligned. Because usually like you would think, right, that a freelancer is incented to say yes to absolutely everything, but the good freelancers are the opposite. They're mm-hmm. the best at saying no to things and saying this person is better and because I know that you value me and where I have a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. I'm actually going to put this specific work item or I'm going to put the relationship or the, you know, it's best for you not to do this. So mm-hmm. you don't have to feel bad when it's a, it's a freelancer that you don't have work for them um, because they're, they're planning for that. Yeah. So, 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 so true. And yeah, uh, with our agency, we always say we say no more than we say yes. Um, mostly because of just, you know, uh, uh, well, there's everything from alignment and, um, you know, to, is this in our lane to, um, you know, uh, character type and all those other things as well too, because, um, we look at the people that we do take care of as family and, um, but we're, you know, very like streamlined, but yeah, you bring up, uh, yet again, another beautiful point, um, that, um, freelancers are always planning for the, um, for uncertainty, for changes, for, um, you know, the ups and downs, like you, they're, they're always building a rhythm in knowing that change is happening daily. And that if they rely on just one, that doesn't work <laughs> because on any given day, like that one can go away. So they're always, and in a weird way, if you want to think about diversification, you know, for any freelancer listening, it's sort of like, well, if you've got five clients, we've got f- five income streams, right? Yeah. And so if you look at it, even from that standpoint, and if one goes away, at least you still have four, but always plan on how would you loop one back in or even add an extra one? And how do you optimize how you're working with everybody? So that way you, you know, don't get burnt out. Um, you may reach a little bit of capacity, but you, that's where the, the, the figuring out component comes in. Right. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, it's, it's, a, I, I wanted to ask too, like where you had mentioned that um, within five years, right. Uh, nearly half, not, I think it may even be more, um, will be remote freelance. You know, I think there's a massive shift going on that clearly started from last year. Um, what do you think also though, globally, globally freelance work? Because like, you know, and, and outsourcing is nothing new. We've, we've had it for a very long time. And interestingly enough, and I was reading this incredible, um, email uh series uh, of a gentleman who's an economist that was talking about the changing times and was basically saying that like he was talking about capital and labor markets and it was really interesting because he was saying that the thing that you have to understand that's going on in america specifically is that um the companies want to hire the talent the talent are making more money than for what is now needed especially in digital and for you know the new skill sets problem is those skill sets weren't taught in school. A lot of them had to learn it through YouTube. Once they actually learn it through YouTube and just doing online and creating, they're making more money than the, what the companies that want to hire them for. Okay. So then hot companies started going more for um, outside the States to those, um, you know, to other individuals uh, for doing that work, whatever. But you also better know that work <laughs> for when you're outsourcing otherwise, because they can, um, you know, they can take the order per se. Some were strategic and will also be order makers, but for the most part, they'll just take it. You have to also have an idea of it. So you're, you're seeing this interesting shift with the labor markets in the U S because they're like, no, like I know my worth and I had to learn this on my own. Um, and I actually make more money, not working for you. Um, 
And then, so how do you feel about like what's happening in the U.S. and what's happening globally as well in, in the global setting of freelance work and, and digital? I'll state the, the facts, the facts first. So yes. freelancing is growing exponentially uh, globally. There are over 100 million global freelancers and various locations are rising faster than others. The reason for this is just the fact that it doesn't matter where you are working. It reduces down to a simple, a simple skill or a simple project that you can deliver. So, so that's sort of the facts is global freelancing is, is only going to increase exponentially. Now, my thoughts on it is I am terrified for Americans. And the reason I say that is because it takes working with one really good freelancer outside of the U.S. to realize that whatever is special about America um, or, or an American isn't. And so I'm and I'm very torn about this because mm-hmm. I personally I grew up in a small town. I love country music. I loved it. I love the U.S. I lived in Asia for a year to have an outside view and it made me love the U.S. more. Yet the reality that I see is that there's a large, there's a large proportion of American freelancers that are competitively at a disadvantage. Mm. And instead of getting like too angry, I think the, the very, the, the things that happen to American freelance that American freelancers do very often is yes, they overcharge. Um, they are not as attentive. They do not put in the extra efforts. Uh, they for the most part, the kind of general feeling is they complain a lot instead of just doing the work. Whereas when you work with some overseas freelancers, and listen, I'm not saying that like uh, I'm you're seeing the best of the overseas freelancers, right? But so the the overseas freelancer generally won't do that. Um, they will get it. They'll say they're, they're going to do it Friday at five p.m. They're grateful. They're very mm-hmm. exactly. They're fortunate and they're grateful, which is why I actually I. I live in Miami and I've been very public about it. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Miami. The reason for that is it's over, it's over half immigrants. And I've never seen people that are, I believe, more American. Um, they are so grateful to be here. And the mm-hmm. mantra is generally um, just let me have my business, right? Yes. Let me have my business and my life without you taking everything from me. Because most of them came from a socialist or communist country, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's Cuba, Venezuela. So I, I'm very torn because I think there's a structural disadvantage that might be cultural um, that yes. we have as Americans. I don't think it's all Americans in any way, shape or form. I think there's some patterns that, uh, that I look at and I realize that, okay, this, this freelancer is probably a nightmare. Um, and I, I seek that and say, probably not a good idea. Um, but I, I think there's a way out in terms of, I don't think it's a struct, it doesn't have to be a structural problem. I think that if we, as, as Americans, we do have some advantages. Um, we're generally more creative. We generally are a little more independent. Um, and so I think we can dive into our strengths to kind of turn the clock. Um, and I do think one major thing though, to, to call out in this whole conversation of globalization is the current administration um, is very, very anti-freelance and very, very anti-independent uh, ownership and, and rugged individualism and all that kind of stuff. Um, they're, they're throwing this thing down the pipeline called the PRO Act, which would get rid of over 57 million freelance jobs overnight. Um, it is replicating California's AB5. The um, intention of it is pure. It is to quote unquote protect workers. But if you look at under the hood, it's, it's getting people to join the union, right? It's, 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 I don't want to call it corruption, but it's, 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 it would put us on a very, 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 very disadvantaged global footing because freelancing isn't going to slow down. And just because our lawmakers believe that everyone should be part of the union doesn't mean that the, the world is going to say, okay, let's feel bad for the Americans. Let's in, instead, they're going to say, oh, hell yeah, let's double down on freelancing yep. like they've already done. Yep. So that's my view. I'm torn. I think that globalization is net a good thing. I think it can be a very bad thing for, for some Americans, but I'm as American as they come. And I believe we can overcome this, but there are some structural structural changes we do need to make. You know, the thing is, is, and um, not that I want you to be torn, but I, I'm there with you and I agree. And I think torn is also a way of saying like, hey, I see all the angles and the sides and this is, this is what's hard about it. 
And I think that these are conversations that need to be had because I think that a lot of people just don't understand these layers of things while they're distracted by TikTok and other things, you know, that are actually really happening when you think about, um, look, I just want to be able to build and sovereignty and, you know, and create. And I don't need somebody to tell me like, (laughs) or restrict me from that. Like, let me do my part. I'm being accountable. But again, that's also a loss of control from hierarchical control. (laughs) So I, you know, and which has always been fear-based in my opinion and scarcity-based, even though, you know, uh, they will never have enough. So um, I, so I like the points that you're bringing up and going back to the point about um, what you're saying about um, overseas and in gratitude, you know, so I, um, I have teams, uh, my teams are in the Philippines, Canada, and parts of the U S and the people in the U S are heavily, well, everybody's heavily vetted. My team, it's a core, the core four of us. And we're all in contact with each other every day. Like we actually become really close as family. Um, and, uh, you know, my head of Devin design, like he and I are on it every day, like, you know, and, and he's even gotten used to like my style. He's like, I know this is what you want. I'm like, that's what I want. You got it. Like he, you know, um, but why I'm bringing this up is, um, yes. Um, the issue that I found in the U S is, um, especially when I used to audit agencies was that like, oh, wow. Like agencies are taking all this money. Then they're giving to, to junior designers, junior developers, junior whatever, who, you know, maybe you're on it, maybe not. And then I even saw that with freelancers that they, I think they were trying to get into it just for like, well, I want to have like the freedom. It's like, well, yeah, but there's responsibility and freedom. Like you have to still deliver really great work. And um, overseas, all my degrees are in international business. So how do you have cross-cultural communications? And then like seeing what was happening in outsourcing, um, they're grateful to have it. But I also noticed that um, when you like being here and being, you know, somebody already of digital, already of that business and being able to say, hey, here's where I like. So I'm final QA. I'm always, you know, um, the quality and assurance before anything goes out. And I'm the one who's like, you know what, let me let me re manipulate this here in the code. Let me like just move this around with the design like, okay, or, you know, what, this needs to do that. And they're like, oh, that's cool. So we have to have the work ethic here in the U.S., period, end of story. We have to have the integrity. We have to have the work ethic. And we can even use uh, and connect and collaborate with people overseas who are also really grateful for doing the work as well, too, and help guide and, and, and work together that way. And I think that, yeah, um, I had found, I to your exact point, um, when I try to work with people here, they were overpricing, you know, and I'm like, yet, you're not really delivering on that, you know? And um, I started to learn exactly like what people were charging the market. I'm like, all right, cool. I can work with them. I give them what they want first. And then knowing and understanding the margins of like, wow, we're still beating the market um, and we're delivering superior product. So like, you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, people got to get their shit together, <laughs> you know, and, and want to care about doing good work. Yeah, it's and I, I, the last point because I got to make sure I have another meeting to hop yes. on. Um, the the tangible action that I would say we need to switch is you need to earn your seat at the table. Yes, you should not be given a seat at the table just because you exist. You need to earn it. And I will say there's a, a thing that I noticed in the, from from the U.S. when I left is that I don't know why or where it's coming from, but there's just a general sentiment that Americans, and listen, it's been a very successful country, right? And there's been over four or five generations of prosperity. So this is a natural, if you're a fan of history, this is natural. Um, but the mindset shift is you have to earn your seat at the table. And if you're yes. a freelancer, that means that you're not lowballing yourself, but you're showing value before yes. you go and ask for that raise. And whether you're a full-time employee, freelancer, entrepreneur, you name it, kind of goes back to that basic principle of speak soft and carry a big stick. Right. But I, I, I love America. Um, I love Americans. I am, I feel like in my heart, I'm a, whatever, red, red, white, blue. It's so, it's so cheesy to say. Um, but when you love something, you got to also be critical about it. And uh, that's yes. the mindset shift that we kind of need. I love it. I love it, brother. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I agree. I love our country. I love the opportunities we still have the most opportunities everywhere it's just that it requires to your exact point responsibility and accountability to earn it and luckily we're in a place where for now and hopefully it stays that way we we have the freedom to to earn it you know so thank you so much where where can everybody find you online or the book or you know your, your company everything 
Start with LinkedIn. Uh, more than happy to talk with anyone who is passionate about this space. Um, with the book, you can get it on Amazon. You can get it wherever you get your favorite books. And then with the company, start with my LinkedIn. Uh, all, we're, we're in the, the stage of making sure that it's the right people. And so this is not a, hey, let's get as many users as possible tomorrow. This is let's get the right people working on the right problem. So yeah. And listen, Matt, thank you so much for having me. This was uh, one of my funnest conversations yet. Uh, awesome, brother. Well, and I, 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 I invite every uh, guest that comes on. It's a journey driven podcast. So you're welcome back on anytime. We could talk about probably a million subjects here. So thank you. No, thank you for coming on and having this convo. I especially think it's very relevant for current and where we're heading times. I appreciate you. Uh, so thank you for being on. Hell yeah. We'll talk yeah. soon, man. Have a good weekend. Excellent. And for everybody listening, please check out Human Cloud. You can look at the book on Amazon, Matthew Matola. You can find him on LinkedIn, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, Matola, M-O-T-T-O-L-A. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, O-L-A. Uh, reach out to him. He's there. You know, if you have any questions on freelancing, he's the go-to guy. You can DM me if you have any questions. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you guys for tuning in every single week. Seriously, um, you know, we've grown because of you. This is a community and I'm always open to hearing, you know, your guys' thoughts and your feedback. So please feel free to reach out to me for The Hustle Sold Separately from my amazing guest, Matthew Matola. We are out. <music>